This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Kilior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today, previewing USC's Crosstown Showdown. Crosstown, not Crosstown. <laughs> showdown against UCLA. And if USC takes care of business, they'll be in the Pac-12 title game. We'll talk about that. So uh, an interesting and fun game this weekend. Uh, We'll give you some injury updates. We talked to both USC's coordinators this week, so we'll give you our thoughts on that. And then we'll talk about the Pac-12 South race. I know I already mentioned it, but we saw an an interesting wrinkle on Twitter earlier today. Uh, I sent it to Shotgun and to Ryan, so both of them are aware of it, so we'll discuss it. I've digested it. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, As always, you guys can call us 5124-TUNNEL. We love talking to you guys. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever you're watching, Facebook, Periscope, and YouTube, we are live on all three. But your comments, questions, concerns, Shaka and I love reading what you guys say and putting them into the discussion. Uh, it's fun hearing from y'all, so be sure to do that. But guys, like I said, uh, we were just here. We were we were breaking down a game on Two Monday. Days ago, yeah. I know it was it was a quick turnaround for us. So uh, we have another game to preview. UCLA, Ryan. I started this season out calling you the Pactual Guru, okay. <laughs> which I don't think is accurate, but I'm rolling with it still. Wait, no, it is, but you gave me some grief, okay? okay? That's what I'm alluding to. But what is your sense of this UCLA team just overall? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was like 48 hours ago we did this show. I, I know. Like we just went this we were just here. <laughs> uh, we just like breaking down the game, and now all of a sudden, boom, it's uh, UCLA week. And uh, I guess the players have a short week too, so we're on the same schedule as them. <laughs> Closing things up. I got to talk to uh, David Woods, who covers uh, the Bruins for Bruin Report Online. That's like our sister site over on 24-7 Sports Network. I don't know if you want to call the UCLA site our sister site, but, you know, they're, they're our contemporaries over there. They cover sure, UCLA. Sure, sure, We cover USC. Um, yeah, and, and just watching this team, if you've watched Chip Kelly and the Bruins the last couple of years, you know how many out-of-conference games they've won? None. They're 0-6. <laughs> uh, they've never had... Uh, a winning record under Chip Kelly. They have one right now. So uh, this is the first time ever they're, you know, above 500. So three and two, uh, pretty pretty good there. They beat the Arizona schools like similar to what uh, USC did. But if you just watch, just you use the eye test for everything. The eye test watching this Bruins team, it just looks like a whole different group. I mean, they are more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball. They brought in Brian Norwood. It's not a new defensive coordinator, 
but he's sort of like the passing game, whatever coordinator, but he's installed some new aspects to this defense. It's more of a nickel base thing. They'll do like a four man front, three man front, but they're moving guys around like similar to what we saw USC did what you know, USC did with Talano Hufunga. They do that quite a bit, moving their athletes around on the defensive side of the ball. And I, you just watch them. They're super aggressive. They're doing a great job of stopping the run and getting after the quarterback, really getting them off rhythm and disrupting guys, and then you know dropping back in the coverage when they need to. It'll be interesting to see the matchup because you know when you blitz USC, you play man-to-man against USC, you usually get burned. Um, so they probably have to pick their spots a little bit more than what you'd normally do. But really feisty defense. Uh, they looked a lot better than what I've seen before. I think the new scheme has really helped them out. And then on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Dorian Thompson, Thompson Robinson came back from a, you know, he had a two week quarantine that he missed a couple of games. It started off slow against Arizona State, but he had their game winning drive against them uh, at the end. Um, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a playmaker. And I know USC's done better the last couple of weeks stopping quarterbacks from getting runs, but he's someone that's definitely going to put pressure on the defense and can pick, you know, pick up a, uh, First downs with his legs. That was a problem for USC early on. We'll see if that continues uh, to be, if it goes back to something like that. But watch Demetrius Felton. He got banged up a little bit. Um, he's like 5'10", 200 pounds, was a slot receiver before. I love the way he runs uh, between the tackles. He gets yards after contract. Um, they also have Britton Brown, who's a transfer from Duke, who's a bigger guy, more of a bruiser, who loves to initiate contact as well. So this is a physical team. This is a team that could really punch you in the mouth. And I think USC, it's going to be a real test for USC. It's, a really, it's like a close spread. It's like two and a half point spread or something. Yep. So I think this could be a really close game. And if USC comes out and plays poorly, like maybe the, the you know three quarters of the Washington State game, not the first quarter, uh, they easily could lose this game. Chuck mm-hmm. and I were talking about this on the Family Feud podcast plug. Uh, this might be one of the closest uh, games or evenly matched games in a while for both UCLA and USC, right? I would say, uh, I mean, like the like just in general for USC, obviously the Arizona State game was really close. But sure. for this one, you know, there was an upset two years ago, uh, you know, when UCLA won and then last year it wasn't, you know, super competitive. I think this one will be. This just looks like a better Bruin team than what we've seen in the past. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think this one could definitely be a close game, a down-the-wire game. Who makes the right play? Who makes a special teams play? You know, one team turns it over twice, the other team doesn't turn it over. Like, I think it's going to be hard for either team to overcome things like that that normally can derail a game. Mm-hmm. Shadi, what's your take on this? Yeah, one of the things I said is that this is probably the first time in, what, seven or eight years that both teams are playing well going into the game. Um, you know, just usually it's been one team has been doing well and the other team has been struggling. Uh, so it's, it makes the rivalry more fun when teams are playing well because you have anticipation. Everyone thinks that they can win rather than coming in. Everyone thinks we're just going to get the crap beat out of us. And that's how it's kind of felt, you know, when your team's struggling. That's how you feel when you're going up against your rival. So I, I think it should be a lot more fun in this game with that potential. It, it should be a pretty evenly matchup. matchup. Um, you know, we'll see how, how things progress. Uh, in this game, because I think there's going to be some, it's going to be big, the halftime adjustments, but also just in game before that. I, I think that there's some matchups in this game that are going to be very critical on both sides for both teams. Well, that's a cliffhanger, Shotgun. What are the, the critical <laughs> matchups? I think you got to start with, uh, you know, UCLA's pass rush against USC. You know, does UCLA, you know, they've had a lot of success this season uh, by attacking, blitzing, similar to Todd Orlando's defense. They're bringing a lot of pressure, getting the quarterback's face, making, you know, creating some uh, mistakes and, and being able to get to the quarterback and sack the quarterback. So can they do that against USC 
and Keaton Slovis because Keaton Slovis, when he's getting blitzed, is at his best this season. I think he's something like 28 to 33. Um, he's thrown for five touchdowns, no interceptions. He's been great when he's been blitzed because he identifies where the blitzes are coming from, attacks right after that. He's been really good with that, and he knows if he gets in trouble, he can always kind of throw it up to his receivers and let them go make a play because he has some big, strong physical receivers. So do you attack him because you that's what you've been having success with? Do you play to your strengths or do you play to your opponent's weaknesses? Yeah. And USC, you know, they've struggled more when teams drop, uh, drop into coverage and are able to get pressure with three or four guys. That's the big thing for the offensive line. Can they hold up uh, against, you know, uh, Osa Digizuwa and, uh, you know, the, the linebacker Caleb Johnson coming off the edge? If those guys can get pressure without blitzing, then USC's in for a lot of trouble. And, mm-hmm. you know, particularly on the edges, you know, uh, Gerard Martinez pointed out that, that that's one of the, the big factors he's going to be looking at is how they, how they attack on the edges. So that's one of the biggest ones for USC when they have the ball. And then on the other side of the ball, I think US, UCLA's run game versus USC's run defense. First couple games, USC's run defense struggled. The last couple games, they were able to stop Utah. They took it, you know, you know, took control of that game early against Washington State. Different style of attack, not necessarily downhill. So we'll see a team that's running the ball a lot more effectively than any of the teams that they faced so far this season. I think, and Demetri Felton being a dynamic guy that can make guys miss, and USC has missed some tackles some this season. So how do they tackle? Do they rally the ball? You know, those type of things. That's the big matchup on the other side for me. Yeah. Ryan, in terms of UCLA's defense, what do you see them doing? We've had this question pretty much every matchup. Do you stick what you're good at or do you do what USC's weakness is? Yeah. I mean, I think they're really good at it. I mean, they're just, it's just, it's such a disruptive defense and they seem to know, like, I think, you know, they're able to figure out, all right, looks like this looks like a run play. They'll do a bunch of run blitzing. They'll put, you know, more guys in the box. They're willing to take chances to stop, you know, a play. And maybe they're like a 75% chance of getting, you know, making the call right where they're either dropping into coverage or, or bringing up dudes near the line of scrimmage. But they, they've just been really good at pe- forcing people to be in second long and third and longs and then playing well from there. But, you know, we've seen USC pick apart defenses that have blitzed guys and then drop, you know, have uh, man coverage in the back. Uh, so I think they're going to have to pick their spots a little bit. You're not going to see... This isn't going to be like the, you know, super aggressive, like always blitzing kind of stuff because USC's just done well with that. But I think USC struggled to run the ball against Washington State. You know, we'll see what they can do against UCLA. But they've been pretty good from what I've seen, uh, forcing negative plays in the run game, really putting you, uh, you know, off schedule. So uh, I think when they do something like that, maybe they, they, they could bring four, rush four guys, but make it look like a blitz and drop different guys in the coverage. So they still have guys in the coverage, but... Uh, try to confuse the offensive line. So instead of having like six, seven guys going after the quarterback, maybe you bring four, but it's a different four a lot of the times. And you can, you know, you can get an offensive lineman. It's just standing there not blocking anybody. And it's like, uh, you know, effective as well. So I think you'll see a little bit of that. But USC, when they when they do blitz, they're going to have to take advantage and hit some big plays. And that's what we've seen the Trojans be good at. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting thing you bring up, Ryan, is how much can you you confuse the offensive line to begin with? Uh, Washington State was able to do that a couple times, but USC was still able to complete some passes. Um, you look at Amon Ross St. Brown's first touchdown. That was a zone defense that they were going against, and it was they showed blitz up the middle. They dropped out, and they had a free rusher come off the edge, but Keaton Slovis was able to get the ball out in time, and Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, you know, actually the Gary Bryant Jr. being the inside receiver affected the inside defender just enough to open up a window. 
So those type of things, you know, can USC, you know, expect to have all their offensive line back, but can they communicate well enough to be able to stop free runners from coming free? There was a couple other times that happened as well. Another big play USC had, I think it was a, um, I can't remember, I think it was actually another one of the Amon Ross St. Brown. There were so many of those touchdown passes, but uh, another one of those, you know, there was a big twist game coming from the defensive end, coming around and coming through the middle, and he comes free without anyone touching him. But USC had just enough time. Keaton Slovis knew, could feel it and got rid of the ball just in time. And Amon Ross St. Brown, that was the slot fade, uh, second touchdown, actually. So twice, the first two touchdowns USC had, those are both on third downs, I believe. And both times, there's a free rusher. So that game could have been completely different if there's a half second. You know, if that inside defender is in the window and, and uh, Keaton Slovis doesn't have to throw there and he has to look at a different target, you know, if there's, you know, helper. You know, he throws the ball a little wide on that slot fade. Suddenly, USC is settling for field goals, and it's a it could be a much different game. I think UCLA's defense, not having two weeks off before, like Washington State's did, and not missing, at least right now, not missing multiple defenders in the secondary, I think they're going to be more adept at being able to make plays. So if USC gives up some of those free rushers like they did in that game, then they could be in trouble really quickly. In that sense, what are you guys expecting from USC's offensive line? They didn't have the last two weeks that they had prior to Washington State. What are you expecting from them coming in? I mean, we don't even know the status of Liam Jimmins right now. He's listed as day-to-day. But as uh, for the whole, I think the starters are back. Yeah, for the most part. I, my guess is Jimmins probably isn't going to play in this one. And, you know, where do they go? Uh, you know, are they going to go with Cortland Ford, who came in and played, you know, left guard in the last game? Uh, it'll be So we'll see kind of how that ends up. Uh, playing out, but I think they'll be better. I mean, you'll get a week under your belt. You'll just be able to walk out of that. You know, Graham Harrell was really matter of fact when he's like, yeah, man, the offensive line walked out of the hotel on, on Saturday afternoon and then they came over to play the game. It's like, all right, you know, boom, like they're, that's all you could do. Now, at least they can prepare a little bit and, uh, you know, missing that, missing that contact. I think you'll see, you know, an improved group, but this is going to be a real test, uh, uh, you know, test for them. I think they handled the, the Utah front. Okay. Uh, this is just, it's a really active defense. I think they, like Shock said, I think they're going to put some pressure on you. There could be some some breakdowns. If you do have missed assignments, I think UCLA is a team that can really make you pay. So they're, they're going to have to play better. And if they don't, I think this USC offense could struggle at times. They'll, they'll get theirs. They're going to make some big plays and stuff. But it's those drives that are just kind of like, you know, the third quarter drives that just kind of end up going nowhere. Like you can't have a whole bunch of those again. Yeah. And that's, that's the potential is certainly there. Yeah. I think it also comes down to if you at UCLA can get some pressure early and hit Keaton a couple times, because we saw after he took a couple hits in that third quarter, his passes weren't as accurate. And this is the same thing we saw on the other side with Jaden Delora. USC hit him a couple times in those first couple drives. His first three or four throws were great. After he took a big hit from Chase Williams on on a uh, you know on a blitz, he gets there and hits him as he's delivering the ball. He went one for seven with more passes completed to USC defenders than to his own team. Yes. So he had two interceptions there, and they were just all his throws were a little off. And you know that's how quickly things can change. Where you know he was crispy the first couple of throws of the game, but then one big hit, and suddenly things are a little bit different. I think the same thing can happen with Keaton Slovis because we've seen, you know, does he get into his head a little bit if he takes a couple of those hits? Um, so if they can protect him early, let him get in some confidence and get into a rhythm like he did against Washington State, USC will, will be much, much better in this game. But if UCLA can get a little pressure early and hit him one or two times, 
it may change the the momentum of the game and swing how the the game can play out. Mm-hmm. Now on the other side of the ball, Todd Orlando today talking about USC uh, UCLA's offensive line uh, seemed to have genuine respect for them. He said that they weren't getting enough credit. Uh, where does this offensive line rank, Ryan, in your mind compared to other uh, fronts that USC has gone against this season? Yeah, well they got a Sean Ryan, you know, former uh, you know yep. guy that USC was uh, recruiting there. Um, yeah, the, I think they've. They've played better as well. Uh, it helps when you have like confidence in your running backs, and I think Felton has just come on, and they love uh, Britton Brown that you know came over from Duke. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say like as far as talent up and down the line, they're like the you know top couple in the Pac-12, but they've been playing uh, at a, at a higher level than what we've seen in the past. It seems like everything's kind of gelling for UCLA now. They actually look like this. Uh, cohesive unit as a, as a group, which they really haven't the last couple of years. They'll have some good games, some bad games, but I think they're playing a little bit better. They're not the most talented in the in the Pac-12, but they're they're playing, I think, uh, at a pretty high level. Now, Shotgun, if Raylan Goforth for some reason is not game ready, how do you expect Todd Orlando to attack this UCLA offense? I know a lot of people have asked, you know, is Tal- can you just move Talanoa Hufanga down as a linebacker full time? And we actually had a question about that. You know, can he fit in a similar vein as uh, Deion Bailey or Brian Cushing? And I don't think that you want him trying to face, you know, a power rushing attack that's coming downhill. Uh, He's much more suited being able to fly around in different areas. And plus, he's so unique and so versatile. I mean, I looked at pro football focus's detail. They kind of do a detailed position uh, analysis on every player to see where he's been lining up this, this season. He's lined up in 19 different spots. Now that's inside, uh, you know, as a inside linebacker on one spot, and then there's different. They they classify it differently. You can check out the tweet if you want on that. But 16 different spots on uh, on Sunday against Washington State. So he's so versatile and so unique. You can do so many creative things with him. I don't want. I don't think you want to pigeonhole him and say, hey, we have to play him at linebacker. So the you know getting Raylan Goforth back, I think, and especially the way he played in that Utah game, you feel really comfortable if he can get back to that level with him and Kanai kind of stopping the run in the middle and keeping UCLA from, from getting their rushing attack going. So I don't think you want to have to move Talanoa down. It's an option for you, but I think it's much more of a better matchup when it's something like Washington State where they're really spreading the field versus a team that's wanting to attack right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I know DTR, uh, his decision-making is kind of questionable at times. What do you expect from him in this game? And, I mean, his mobility. How much of a threat is that going to be for this USC defense considering they've struggled with – non-mobile-ish quarterbacks so far? We've seen, yeah, like when you know, Greg Connell's running for like six first downs and he's not exactly a mobile quarterback. Um, so they, they'll put pressure. I thought they did a good job against Jade Delora uh, last week and I think that frustrated him and taking away something like that is sort of like a security blanket for the quarterback if you know it's third and six and you're dropping back and you know, for a fresher quarterback, making all your reads and trying to find a guy open isn't always easy, but Oh, there's a little bit of a gap. I can run and pick up the first down and and restart things, and uh, that's just something that's a nice thing for a quarterback to have. And DTR definitely has that. He's more of an upside guy. Um, you know, you saw before, like sometimes the decision making isn't always there, but he's definitely a playmaker, and uh, you know, he's he can make some big plays for you. And they can make some mistakes um, too. I I think some of the Part of the reason the run game was doing so well in the two games he was out, it just felt like there were some, you know, maybe some better decisions being made at the quarterback spot. Uh, but you know, he's he's someone that Chip Kelly wants in there because there is that that upside, and you you know, they're they're hoping he can kind of make some better decisions and stuff all the time. Not that he always is doing that, but 
he definitely has the kind of upside that you'd want to see and something that can put a you know pressure on a USC defense. And I think the USC defense the last couple of weeks has kind of done what they've wanted to do. If a guy like DTR comes in and, and changes it and makes you, you know, makes Todd Orlando adjust and you're doing something a little less comfortable, then you're not really going to be in the same spot. It's like, I think that's what USC did to Washington state, got him out of their comfort zone. Can DTR and his legs get USC's defense out of their comfort zone? Because they've been playing a lot better each and every week. But if he has a bunch of success on the ground, that could that could change things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last year, don't forget, Dorian Thompson-Robinson threw for 367 yards against USC, three touchdowns. He ran for another 64 and a touchdown. So he was he was the playmaker last year. And they really attacked the middle of the field with their tight ends. You know, Devin Asiasi had a big game. Um, you know, Caleb Wilson's had a big game uh, for UCLA in the matchup uh, two years ago. So how does USC, can, can I Malga, can Raylan go for it? Can they cover those tight ends over the middle? Or does Todd Orlando try to draw something else up, having seen, you know, the, the previous season's tape and seeing what uh, USC's linebackers have done against UCLA's tight ends and, and how that UCLA has been able to exploit that matchup? That's something that, that could be an option. And, you know, those tight ends are always kind of a safety blanket for a quarterback, too. So, you know, it's, it's not just his legs that you got to worry about. He can also throw the ball. He proved that last year. Mm -hmm. Now, I feel like there's always some type of special teams shenanigans when it comes to UCLA, USC, or at least there was. I just remember that Michael Pittman trick play. That's what stands out in my yeah. mind. Ryan, what are you expecting for special teams? I know David Woods talked about a potential area for a block punt for, for USC to get. Yeah, I've, I've re I'm sorry. I'm blanking on the, the punter's name. But David said he's got a strong leg, you know, but he's, he's sort of slow to get the ball off. And, you know, we had a question on the podcast of Champions Plug uh, today. Uh, from Hith of our buddy Hithliday, who uh, you know talks about Oregon a lot, but he thought that the overall special teams has been down across the conference, and there's been more block kicks. There's been a lot of stuff like we've seen teams like Cal have. I mean, they had three special teams gaffes in one game, like huge ones, and uh, you know they had a big one last week, uh, you know, in their in their upset win, but they still were able to overcome it. And for USC, I think uh, Brandon Sosna tweeted out. Um, you know, some stats today about USC special teams. They've been really well. And I, I said that, I'm like, you know, the team I cover, their special teams has actually got better by hiring, uh, you know, Sean Snyder. So um, there has been, I think there, you know, with that, the less practice time and stuff, I think the special teams gaffes have probably gone up. It hasn't for USC. So testament, you know, props to the Trojans and, uh, and Sean Snyder for being able to take care of that. But if, if anything, maybe getting a block punt in there on one of those would be good. There hasn't really been uh, – UCLA hasn't had a lot of, like, crazy returns or anything like that. We saw a good return from Tyler Vons. You know, maybe we do see a big special teams play. And if it's a close game, I think something like that could make a difference. But David Woods was saying to watch out for potential punt blocks because he does get the, tend to take a little extra time to get the ball off. That'd be, that'd be Luke Akers. Luke Akers. Okay. David Akers, former Philadelphia Eagles kicker. Oh, nice. Well, there okay. you go. Uh, he also is, is a field goal kicker as well, so maybe later in his career he'll be doing that. But remember a couple of years ago, USC was able to get a block punt um, and you know fell on in the True. end zone, I believe, for a touchdown. 2018. Uh, yeah, so it, it's something – you talk about how USC special teams have improved. You can look at it and go, well, have they done anything? But no, that's the key thing is that <laughs> they haven't had to do anything. That's the big thing across football. You saw especially early in the season – um, with the Big 12 play, the SEC play, special teams, a lot of uh, mistakes there. That's why you saw some of those upsets from you know the Sun Belt teams and stuff winning. Um, and then you look at the Pac-12, and it's kind of like they're in early season mode the entire time because of all these delays and stuff. It's been really early season mode. USC, however, has been solid. 
you know, they haven't done anything spectacular. They haven't needed to. They've done a great job. Ben Griffiths has been solid. He hasn't been spectacular. He's putting the ball inside the 20-yard line. He's punting for a decent average, a good average. Doesn't have to win the, you know, Ray Guy Award or anything for you this year, but it's so much improved just because there's consistency there. Yeah. You know, even when they made a mistake last game, they had 10 men on the field on that punt return. They made something happen out of it. Um, you know, so I think that you're looking at that group, and instead of having, you know, mistakes that are game-changing – they're doing. They're being pretty consistent, and that's why you go. You know, they're much improved this year. Well, that they're doing what other teams aren't, and that's just being consistent and not making mistakes when a lot of other teams are having those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the. I mean, so last, so this past weekend, Cal had a like long punt return gets you know taken away because of penalty against Oregon. Against Stanford, they lose big game. Uh, they had a. They blocked a field goal. They had a muff punt led to a Stanford touchdown, and then. At the end of the game, they get the PAT blocked, and you know, so like yeah. those are like what Shotgun's saying is like you don't want any of those, let alone like three of those in a game. And we've seen that from USC before. So yep. just not having them and actually, you know, giving yourself better field position on all aspects of it, it's those are such positive plays. But just eliminating the horrible negative plays. And like Stanford loses that game by, I mean, Cal loses the game by like a point, and they had three huge special yep. teams gaps. Like you only have two. And you'd win the game. So, I mean, you got to avoid those if you can. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I think it all goes back to early season. You see a lot more of those mistakes, not having a ton of practice time. And with the the quarantine issues that some teams have had, you know, you're not able to get all those guys out there. You may have, you know, seven guys that are out and they may be at different positions. Well, that really affects you on special teams because you're pulling from every different position. So it's not like, oh, well, the DBs are safe so we can actually practice and get those drills in. No, special teams is like, well, we're missing three guys here, or two guys in this other unit, so it makes it more difficult to, to put that all together. So I give a lot of credit to USC for just being consistent in that front. And, you know, that's that's what you want from your special teams at USC. That's the thing that Ryan talked about. Hey, give us a special play every once in a while, great. But how about just eliminating all the bad plays and you'll just you you know raise the floor yeah. um, and you, you'll take the team to another new height. Mm-hmm. Now I want to zoom out a little bit and look at the Pac-12 South. Washington paused activity, so now UW and Oregon is in doubt. Correct, Ryan? Yes. Uh, so that uh, Jen Cohen, I believe the uh, athletic director for Washington, was saying uh, they want to do everything they can to play this game, but we've. We've seen this before. Remember when USC had to pause activities before the Colorado game? And you're like, yeah. uh-oh. And uh, most likely, you know, unless it's only a player or two, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a decent chance that this game gets canceled. And potentially, why, and if, if the game doesn't get – if the game doesn't happen, Washington would win the North. But if those are guys that are quarantined for two weeks, they wouldn't be able to play, you know, the next Friday in the Pac-12 championship game even. So, this, yeah, there's a – Potential for really screwing up the Pac-12 North a little bit uh, if Washington can't play. Mm-hmm. Now, Shotgun, I'm going to toss it to you because you seemed very intrigued by the tweet I sent to you. What does it look like if uh, UW and Oregon can't get played as far as the, the game played average for the conference? Yeah, Brian Howell, who's a beat writer uh, for Colorado for, I think, uh, one of the Boulder papers, tweeted out how you know if there's only three games are played this week, so that would require you know a couple more cancellations besides that Washington Oregon game. But if for some reason there's only three games played, then the average number of games would drop to a threshold where it sounds like it would just be you know the the two teams with the best record rather than being division. So it would be USC and Colorado if they win this weekend. So there is the possibility, um, and we hope that doesn't happen because yep. we want everybody to play. Exactly. But there is the possibility that that matchup of the USC Colorado. Um, you know, 
which we would love to see, whether they have to back up the Pac-12 championship game or something else, we'd love to see that matchup for the Pac-12 South, could end up being the Pac-12 de facto championship game, or actual championship game, excuse me, uh, because of you know the, the number of games that teams have played this season, the average number of games that the conference has played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting because if you read the Pac-12's uh, email that went out about the tiebreakers and stuff, and, and you know Brian here does a good job breaking it down. I was reading some of the comments of what's going on there. So essentially, you have to assume Washington and Oregon get canceled, right? But they would now two other games would need to get canceled. We haven't really heard of any other yeah. programs pausing activities. So just that seems like a long shot. But if three games were canceled, the average number of games played in the Pac-12 would drop to 4.33. Once it gets to four and a half below that, the conference would round down and it'll become four. And once it becomes four, then you get rid of the division. So it's kind of this weird thing that like, oh, that could happen, but um, you would need half the games to get canceled. We saw this past weekend, the the first time every game was played. Uh, We've (laughs) never had, you know, well, we've had three games canceled, but then there would be, uh, there were some makeups and stuff in there. Now, just so we can reiterate, because if we get this question a lot, even though we've said it a lot, what is the deal with USC Colorado? Just so people know. Yeah. So USC has one extra divisional game. So if USC and Colorado both win, USC wins the Pac-12 South. Uh, Colorado needs USC to lose, and then Colorado would have to win this weekend and beat Utah, and then they would be the Pac-12 South champion, unless this crazy scenario happens where both are undefeated and you take the best record there but it's really it's the the tiebreaker is your divisional record even if both teams were undefeated usc has the extra divisional game colorado had two games canceled neither of them were their fault so that's where the the problem is uh one of them wasn't made up and one of them was they but they ended up playing an out-of-conference game against san diego state so that won't count for the tiebreaker even though usc would and colorado would have the same record usc would have an extra divisional win mm-hmm. let me clarify one thing that ryan said uh, that w- it's not the initial tiebreaker. That's the tiebreaker that would decide this. Uh, the initial tiebreaker is head-to-head, uh, which obviously they won't play. And then, you know, your division record and then head-to-head, excuse me. Uh, but the, it gets down after a couple of steps to being, you know, what's your record against division opponents. And because USC's played one more game, and that's simply because Colorado was unable to play Arizona State because of Arizona State's um, uh, outbreak that they had, then USC would get the advantage there. Mm-hmm. And one more topic before I jump into our calls. USC is 15 in the college football playoff rankings. What's your takeaway from that, Ryan? Do you think some USC shenanigans can happen where they kind of sneak up and get a, a good bowl? <laughs> There's some people uh, for good bowls for sure. Like you yes, win the Pac-12, well, yes. like probably the Fiesta Bowl or something. But Colorado and USC are the only Pac-12 teams that are ranked 15th and and 21st, you're like, eh, you know, I mean, you look at the rankings, like, I think Coastal Carolina should probably have moved up more than 13 where they are, you know, getting a good win over BYU. Um, you know, USC is looking better. If they beat UCLA, I mean, I think this could be a top 10, top 8 kind of team in the college football rankings by the end of the season, which, that'd be pretty good. But, you know, you'd have like a 6-0 and record or whatever going into uh, the bowl game. But, yeah, you know, whatever, it's... You're not going to make the college football playoff. I know some people are like talking about that, but I, I just don't see something like that happening. Shadi, you were very passionate about the rankings <laughs> last week, so take the floor. Um, the most important thing is that USC is now above North Carolina. We've gotten rid of the hypocrisy of North Carolina having three losses. You were very passionate about and, and being And moving up in the rankings and passing over USC. I don't know what USC showed in the Washington State game that suddenly they're that much better. Um, the, the North Carolina, I, just, I think this was a course correction there. But one of the most interesting thing actually is that USC is now the top ranked team in the West, 
with BYU's loss, they slid down even further. You know, I thought they should probably be up a little bit higher to begin with, but losing to Coastal Carolina, I mean, two days of preparation, you go across the country, you play a really good Chanticleers team on a teal uh, turf, and they come up in the yard short, and they slide down. I think they're 16, 17, 18 right now. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I think that also, again, shows the valuation of the West from the college football playoff community. Not just the Mountain West, not just BYU as an independent, but the West in general. There's no love for the Pac-12, USC being 15th, even though there's undefeated. I mean, you look at USC and compared to Ohio State just as far as number of games being in a Power 5 conference. Obviously, USC has not looked as good as Ohio State. I'm not saying they should be up in the college football playoff uh, consideration for the top four. But you would think they would get more respect than where they're at just being, you know, a Power 5 team undefeated, you know, the cachet of being USC. But I just feel like the entire West region is being devalued by the committee. Keith on uh, Periscope was talking about Ohio State as well. And he said Ohio State and USC can possibly have the same record, right? And so here's the thing. Like, you look at this. This is an eye test. This is a committee picking this. Everyone thought Ohio State was good. You've watched Ohio State play. They look really freaking good. If they miss a couple games and they don't, oh, they don't beat Maryland, okay, that people are going to say that's fine. With the USC, I mean, you you know, you're barely beating Arizona. You need to come back, you know, against ASU is a miracle. You've seen that. The committee's not looking at USC and going, wow, that's one of the best teams in the country. You look at Ohio State and you're saying that uh, they had, like Shotgun pointed out, they had, you know, most of their offensive line was out against a good Michigan State run defense, and they shut, you know, they ran for 300 yards on them. So. Ohio State's getting the eye test. So, I don't, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, USC might have a very similar record, but this is a beauty contest, and Ohio State is going to win that going away. All righty, let's jump into callers. I believe our first caller is Hugo. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. <clears throat> hey, what's up, my people? How you doing out there? Hey, Hugo. Hey, man, Hey, my boy Shotgun over there. Ryan, you better sign him to a long-term contract. ESPN about to come scoop that boy up. You, you, you sleeping on him. All right. I see talent when I see it. Now, here, here's my thing. Look, I think you guys are being a little bit hard. Or, or just think about this. Oklahoma, in the beginning of the year, they were looking really rough. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but they were looking rough. They lost one game or something like that. Then lost or won, something like that. They now they're looking like one of the best out there. Now, if you consider everything that's been going on, right, with the with practices and all this and that, now look, SC, it was the same thing. But now we're picking it up, right? Four games into it, I get it. You know, it's kind of like Oklahoma, where we're picking it up in, uh, after a few games, just like Oklahoma. So now we're starting to hit our stride. And uh, I know we got some things to work on and all this and that, but you know what? I'm thinking we we in the right direction. And I, I'm gonna say one thing, one more, two more little things. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, you go. I'm sorry you had to deal with. I know. Hey, shotgun. I got mad at Graham Harold this morning too. I'm. <laughs> I, I didn't like his professionalism. I, he needs to look at that camera and act like he wants to even be there. That was pissing me off. This coming from a a, 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 a South Central boy, not from Ohio. South Central boy, us SC guys out here. You know what I'm saying? Now inside school, Jordan Campbell. Runs the runs runs the runs the uh, 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 like a clinic camp out here. Yeah, I, I, I saw him at Bonds. Hey, Corey Foreman, loving SC from <laughs> his mouth. Take that, baby. Nice, Hugo. Yeah, you thanks. Go. Thanks, Hugo. That was a high energy call. I love, love it. it. I love, love it. His, I yep. love his energy. Yep. Uh, he's good. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma did have the benefit though of playing a lot more games, and you know, yes, USC did improve. We've seen Ohio State, you know, get better. 
Yeah, it's true. But like, I this is one of those things this year. Playing fewer games, it was just going to be really hard to be high up in the committee unless you looked the part. Now, USC has the cachet. If they came out and they blew out Arizona State and really, you know, they should have blown away Arizona. And you're like, all right, this team is up there. Like, they'd probably be six, seven, eight, even with four or five games under their belt. But not not looking good early on, it was just going to be really hard to make that up. So we'll see. You know, beat a, a good UCLA team beat someone in the Pac-12 championship game. I, I still think you'll see be up there. They're just not going to be in the top four, but they'll, you know, they could be eight or something like that. I, I could see that happening. And that's, I think that's where Arizona, I mean, Oklahoma is right now. They're eight or nine um, right now. Uh, Oklahoma loses two games early. USC won. You know, they didn't lose to Kansas State. The, you know, Iowa State losing to them, that was a great game um, that Oklahoma lost in that one. And Iowa State has proven to be a really solid team. They're in the top 10 of the, the playoff uh, rankings as well. But I, I think it's a great point. You know, but the problem is USC doesn't have the data points, and that's what the committee has pointed to multiple times. So they need to make every single one of them count. So, you know, they've started to progress, and especially if they would have really looked good against Washington State and you finish with three really strong games, you know, they can still finish with two, and I think that's going to catch a lot of committee members' eyes if they play really well against UCLA and then go play well in the Pac-12 championship. But if they did it with three, you know, you say that's normally a quarter of the season. Hey, this team's playing great. And, and it reminds you more of that, you know, USC Rose Bowl team where, hey, they started real bad, but, hey, they, they turned things around. Um, and, you know, they're, and they'd be undefeated at that time. So I think Oklahoma's a great team to point at, but it's just the data points. So USC, what Oklahoma did was they went on the road and they beat Texas Tech 62-28. to And they followed that up with, you know, they're playing a terrible Kansas team, but they beat them 62-9. to USC, if they would have put up a 60-burger or a 50-burger against Washington State, that's an eye-catching number. And I think that that's one of the reasons I pointed out multiple times that 52-6, to which is something USC could have had. You know, you score a couple touchdowns instead of the field goal opportunities. You know, 52-6 to versus 38-13 is just the optics of it look so different when you're looking at a box score. Um, you know, there's and there was opportunities for that. And USC, you know, Helton has talked about that. Harold's talked about it. there was op- there's been opportunities for them to pour pour on 40 or 50 points, and they feel like they should be doing it. So they got to do it. Now you go out and beat UCLA like that. I think that's a statement, and I think that would draw some attention because I think UCLA has been playing better. Now, how much has the committee watched the UCLA game? I don't know. I, I know we watched a little bit more of it just because we're out here and we see them. But I think it could be still a statement game. Can they do that though? That's going to be the big question. And if they could do it again in the in the Pac-12 championship, because that's the thing. There's no real team on their schedule that's in the top 15 that they can go. Oh, that's a really nice win. Whereas Oklahoma was able to go beat Oklahoma State. I think handed them their first loss and did it handily, 41-13. I don't think that's on the the schedule for USC. So that's what makes it tougher for them. The data points and just not having that quality of competition in the eyes of the committee. Okay, I'm going to put everyone on rapid-fire notice. Shotgun. Shotgun, can you expand on that? <laughs> no, I will shut the hey, show that was, down. It was a great call by Hugo. I liked it. He was yeah, awesome. He, of course you liked it, Shotgun. <laughs> um, also, to our callers, please just keep it. We love you guys, but please keep it brief. Uh, let's go to our regular Dave from Iowa. Hello. Welcome to Tunnel Vision. Hello, Tunnel Vision. Dave from Iowa once again. I got uh, two things. One. Really quick. One, so Ryan, when do you think, are, are we going to be seeing um, the one and only Gerard Martinez on the live show before signing day or after signing day? And two, um, uh, say, for example, USC's running game 
doesn't do well for the second straight week in a row. What do you think the recruiting pitch is at the running back position? Yeah, we got to get Gerard on. I mean, we're, what are we, a week away from the – Yeah, sign? Like, crazy. This is insane. Like, I how, know. Like, so the problem is we'll be covering games too, so – We could be potentially covering Pac-12 championship and yeah. early signing period. Yeah, like hey, all at Stock once. down on back-to-back short weeks. <laughs> sure, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's kind of stock From down. the Family Feud podcast. Preview and plug, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's – I mean, yeah, USC needs to recruit the running back position better, and having five yards against Washington State probably isn't helping. <laughs> Shotgun, how, <laughs> yeah, how concerned are you about the Brandon Campbell uh, smoke, if you will? The subtweets, it, you always have to be worried um, when it's a player that's out of the area. You know, you have to worry about those guys regardless when you're leading up to signing day, just because, you know, who's going to get in their ear in the last few weeks as they, you know, as you get closer to signing day. It's obviously a lot easier for, a, a, you know, for, his classmates that are, you know, Texas fans on their Zoom call or whatever to be, hey, you should be going here type of thing or whatever it may be. Normally that's in the hallway and whatnot. Um, whereas if they're local, then you get to go visit and you can, you know, you have those in-home visits and things like that. With the out-of-state kids, you have to be concerned. And then when they start tweeting things that, you know, make you go, hmm, does this mean something? Then you, you know, you double yeah. down on your, your worry there, especially just because of how thin USC could be at the running back position going forward because they haven't gotten a running back. Um, they only got one in the last two classes. Mm-hmm. Let's go to our final caller in the queue, James from Boulder. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, hey uh, great to be calling back in. Love the show. Uh, I call. I think I called before the ASU game. Talked about training him, the big, uh, mm-hmm, you did. the big fullback ASU had, and uh, he was kind of unknown quantity. He turned out to be pretty good. I think uh, Herm doesn't use him probably as much as he needs to. But fast forward to this game against UCLA. Uh, I think they got a heck of a running game. It's going to be a big challenge. Uh, USC better be ready. It's a known quantity. Uh, it's kind of a scary running game. I think. Um, quick question, moving another question, or a question, why doesn't the Pac-12 have good referees? <laughs> I mean, I watch the games, many of the games, really bad refs. I like your comments. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Ryan, did you just take a really deep breath and, you know, stabilize yourself? <laughs> yeah. Was that a yoga did. breath over there, I heard? Yeah. It was like home. Namaste. He had to calm himself was, before addressing this. It's so bad. And if you saw – so John Wilner does a great job covering the Pac-12. He had an expose, basically, on uh, David Coleman, who's the director of officiating for the Pac-12. And it was one of those things where you look at his resume, you're like, oh, okay. And then you actually dig down to his resume. He's, he's a referee two FBS games in his life. Like – that's his. That's what he's done to be the head of Pac-12 officiating. Not he. He doesn't have the qualifications to be a Pac-12 official, let alone the head of Pac-12 officiating. And it's not, you know, you had uh, Tony Corrente that was in there before the NFL guy, and I think he left in a huff. Um, it's more about the culture. There's a whole Woody Dixon scandal. Like no conference would have something like that, where you have this. VP guy that doesn't know anything about football coming in and making changes to uh, reviews and things like that. And that was a huge scandal and had to get rid of him eventually. But it's more about the culture is terrible. And unless that changes, but it's been this way for a long time. The culture at the Pac-12 is bad. The refereeing is bad. They've lost, you know, any good referees, they end up losing. Um, Yeah, it's, that's got to change with the culture change. That means getting a new commissioner and someone that's going to like, 
take the you take the reins and say, all right, this is going to change. Like yeah. we are going to change the officiating because uh, it is it is really bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty much. The fact that that's like one of the strongest brands for the conference is how bad the refs are. Like that should tell you something. Yeah. I mean, you feel it like, uh, was it a uh, Jebbia, the, the quarterback for Oregon state? Like there was that horrible spot call. That game. There, there, two, <laughs> so weeks in frustrating. A row, two weeks in a row, Oregon state got these horrible spot calls that like probably cost them the win against Washington. And they end up getting the win, uh, against Oregon. Yeah. But, they had to put Jebbia back out there, and then he tries to, you know, he rushes in. He ends up, he's still out. He's out for two games. Like, wow. that Pac-12 official screwed up the call and then made him go back in there. He gets injured, and then they, you know, they're, uh, it's it's a mess. Like, stuff like that happens. You're just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to point out one play in the game, the USC game. Uh, and, hey, I thought the, the officials did a really good job in the USC-Washington State game. Give them their credit when it wasn't it bad. Through. Yeah, that wasn't terrible. Uh, we, haven't, we didn't talk about them a bunch, so that's usually good. It's usually a positive like thing. Like the special teams kind of thing. You know? um, okay. and, but one play, Chris Steele, and he's, you know, this is probably a reputation, reputation call because he's gotten so many penalties this season. But he got called for a holding when Jaden Delora was running, and he just stiff-armed the, the uh, wide receiver, and the wide receiver fell over. And he got a holding call, and I was like, where is that a hold? That's just being strong, and the guy fell over. I don't know what, what you want him to do about that one. And obviously then, you know, because people aren't paying attention to the, you know, what exactly happened. They're just and, like, ah. You know, the tweets come flying Chris through Steele. about Chris Steele being yeah. terrible and, you know, doing too much or whatever. But that one was one he just, he's just stronger than the guy, and the guy fell over. Too strong. Five-yard penalty. <laughs> first down. <laughs> All righty, let's jump into questions. First up is from hip-hop lover John. Who says, should USC be worried about UCLA's Jordan deal when it comes to luring recruits? Uh, I mean, for basketball, it's more of a basketball deal from what I understand. And I don't think there's a ton of money. Like, they had a huge money deal with Under Armour that yeah. fell through. Uh, this one's more about helping out the recruiting from what from what I understand. But I think it's more on the basketball side. I don't, I don't see a lot of, like, that's not going to, like put UCLA over the top of football recruiting with USC. That's more of a, to me, it's more of a basketball thing. It, it's huge for basketball and that's big for them, obviously, because they're a basketball school, but you know, the USC's players, they just got new swag last week with new, you know, uh, pullovers and whatnot. They also get shoes and stuff too. So if you're getting Jordans, like that's an extra perk that you're going to be excited about. You know, yeah. uh, if you go to Oregon, you get a bunch of extra swag from Nike and whatnot. I, I think it's big for them. You know, I, I just think the the cachet of the Jordan brand and hey, oh, I get free Jordans. You know, while I'm at school, uh, I, I think that carries some extra weight. You know, whether you're near McLean and you're trading your shoes and selling them online for extra cash or whatever it may be, um, I, I think that helps out in recruiting. And it doesn't hurt for sure. I think there's definitely a, a much bigger cachet with the Jordan brand versus Under Armour. And I think they're still in, they're trying to recoup that two hundred million dollars from Under Armour as well. So yeah, I think it's a you know a double win, especially if they can get that extra money. I think I think it's a really big move uh, and something USC should take note of because also USC deals is going is going to come up, and that's potentially a team that or a brand that's not going to pursue them because sometimes there's not you don't want rivals to have the same gear and whatnot. So, you know, it, it just takes an extra brand off the market that could be bidding on USC when their contract comes up, I think. It's flashy. Recruits like flash. Mm -hmm. um, Marcus on YouTube says, do they use, meaning USC, Raymond Scott more in this game as a spy? So so watching this the Washington State game, they could have spied. They could have used Talano Hufunga. They could have used, you know, one of those other safeties that were in there. 
They didn't really do that against Jaden Delora. And Delora is a mobile guy, has taken off and run for some yards in the first couple games. So I think what they'll do, and they'll do similar to this in this game, is they'll start out not spying. And if they have to make that adjustment similar to the Arizona game, then they'll make that adjustment. But I feel like they, they want to try to keep them in the pocket. And also one of the adjustments that, that you saw in this past game was that Drake Jackson, I just don't feel like he was as active coming off the edge. I feel like he was more concerned with staying in that passing lane and keeping Delora in the pocket. Now, against DTR, I think that he throws better than Delora. I think they have more uh, more fear of him throwing the ball and beating them than, than a true freshman uh, first game in a couple weeks. So I, I think they got to get to him and affect him a little bit more. So I, I, maybe it changes a little bit there. But I think they were at first at least going to leave Delora in the pocket, see if he can throw, beat them throwing the ball, and not worry about spying him necessarily, but just keeping their pass rush lanes uh, more concerned with that. So we'll see how exactly they attack DTR. But that's one of the interesting matchups. How do you try to affect uh, a mobile quarterback like him? Shotgun, you probably uh, have to rebut this. Ron on YouTube's YouTube said, Shotgun, USC makes literally no adjustments. That is literally incorrect. <laughs> I think that's pretty simple. That's just yeah. rapid fire, right? Sure. Yeah. Well done. Um, Jasper Smith says, any new updates for the offensive line? We kind of already went, in, up, uh, went into this. We'll get another update from Helton tomorrow. That's kind of the final injury update. But so far, Liam Jimmons day-to-day, but everyone else seems good. And last time we heard from Helton, negative tests around and i think we would hear if something is good yes Yes. very good uh adrian says will the bruins dare to play sc receivers man to man we already got into this but what do you think i think there will some it'll be some yeah everyone just makes it sound like oh you you go into a game and it's a video game and you only have two choices (laughs) yeah it's not that way i mean people even graham harrell and clay helton talking about hey washington state gave them all these man looks they weren't expecting um, and, you know, they try to attack that, and that's why they run the ball. Well, the first touchdown was a zone look. The second touchdown was man. The third one, though, looked like it was a, uh, might have been a man, but, you know, it, it was back and forth. They had bunches of pickups against, you know, zone coverage with Drake London getting over the top of the coverage. There were different times when they did different things. Now, what exactly was Washington State better at? That's, a, that's another question. What Washington State, they gambled. They said, we got to try to attack Cortland Ford in particular. We're going to try some twists, some stunts, some blitzes, attack that area where a true freshman is, and we're going to need some extra rushers there. So when you do that, you have to, you know, you have to give up something. They try to play man-to-man in the back on some of those, and you know, it hurt them on some of those. And they were, but like I said earlier, there were a couple times where they were this close to getting to Keaton Slovis with some twists and different games, and instead USC got touchdowns on them on third downs. If instead they get to the quarterback or just incompletion and their field goals, you know, it, it could be a much different game. It could have played out a lot differently going forward. So it, I think UCLA's defense is a lot better than, than Washington State's, especially with the uh, absences they had in the secondary. John on Facebook says, what will this upcoming game mean to the recruitment of Corey Foreman? Nothing. I mean, a single game isn't going to change things, but the continued progression of the defensive line. I think that's what he's looking for. That's one of the key factors in his recruitment. So getting them out there, and if you go out there, you can blow out UCLA and, and you know win a, t- a game where everyone talks about it in town. Then yeah, that could help out. But as far as like you know, he's not down to USC or UCLA, and one game doesn't determine a recruitment either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jordan on Facebook says, "What team or which team would you like to see USC play in a bowl game?" Uh, it'd be interesting. Someone put like Indiana in the Fiesta Bowl. I saw that. I mean, I'm, I hate bowl projections because it's like, 
they're the worst. But uh, you know, probably be a Fiesta Bowl and, and you know someone someone good. You know, it'd be I, it doesn't really matter to me. Like I'd like to see someone like that. You know, if they get in there and and play, but maybe it's the second place team from the Big Ten or something like that. That'd be cool. Are bowl projections the worst, or are award watch list preseason the worst? Yeah, oh. they're they're both equally bad. <laughs> and hot seat. We know. I, I think, we don't need to watch. I think they're both bad. Like, bowl projections, like, people were doing them, and it's just like there's a million pieces, and there just doesn't, you know, even if you knew everything, it'd be hard to predict which bowls are going to do what, and you don't know everything. And then the watch lists are dumb because you just, you know, just put those things out there. There's, like, 100 guys on there. Like, like Marquis Lee wasn't even on the initial, like, Belitnikov. Uh, yeah, the Belitnikov list. Yeah. And there's like there was like 125 guys on the list, and he wasn't one of them, but he wins. You know, like, okay. <laughs> this is, That means it's a worthless watch list. It's the same thing as preseason rankings. They don't really mean anything. They're just for talk. Sure. Um, Mike, are you? do you have something, Shotgun? You look like you did. Oh, I, I, the Georgia matchup that's been thrown out there as a potential Fiesta Bowl, I think everyone would, would covet that one and think that that was a really interesting one uh, just with the storylines there with JT Daniels and whatnot. Yes, agreed. Uh, now, Mike on Facebook is kind of addressing the heart of the the – I guess the the strife that USC fans are facing right now. He says, are we just not going to be any kind of running team at all? Even with the air raid offense, we need more smash mouth football. Ryan, I know you went on a little rant on the Parasol podcast this week about maybe USC should just, do they even need to run the ball? Yeah. It's funny. Like, our friends over at Rainer Troy, hopefully get over the Rona there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, uh, you know, they're talking about you shouldn't even run the ball as much as you did. And I kind of tend to agree with that a little bit. I know there's people that you want to be smash mouth. This is not, this offense will be successful if Keaton Slovis throws the ball to wide receivers. It's great to have, it'd be a nice to have if you could run the football. And Clay Helton said that after the first two games when they ran for, you know, averaging 174 yards a game. But to me, that was just more about, well, that just kind of happened. That just happened. Uh, It wasn't by design. It wasn't like we're this smash mouth physical football team. And then some other teams that, you know, can stop the run and you don't run the football well, well, you know, does it really matter? Because you don't really need to run the football when you can have Keaton Slovis throw to Amon Ross St. Brown for four touchdowns in one freaking quarter. So I think that's that's basically where it is. You would like to see them. I think they would like to have more balance as far as being able to run the football effectively. Uh, but, you know, having two carries that went for more than four yards in that game by running backs, that's awful. Like, that's just, that's dreadful. But they still won going away. So, I, to me, it's not necessary. Like, if you only had, like, two passes that went more than 10 yards, uh, you wouldn't have won the game, you know. But you can do it without any kind of effective runs because this is a passing offense that will happen to run the ball sometimes. That's just my thoughts. Uh, and, and no, you have to be able to run the ball, too. <laughs> Even – you have to be able to run the ball successfully. You don't have to run the ball 40 times or 50 times or whatever – but if you run it 10 times, then at least get three yards of carry on that 10 times. Just keep the defense honest. They can't do that right now. Yeah. You know, If you're running for five yards, that's not keeping the defense honest at all. Um, so when you get to that third and one situation, now the last two games, they haven't had many you know, short yard situations like that. It's just how it's played out. They haven't, it hasn't happened. Whereas the first couple games, they had a ton of them. Um, so if you get in that situation, do you have to throw it every single time? Do you turn into Washington State? Hey, they threw it on fourth and one. It was a bad throw. They're off the field. You know, so you have to be able to have a little bit of balance. And I think this offense is that much better when they can attack with some play action. 
you know, if you run the ball a couple times with marquee steps, suddenly that linebacker creeps up, and that's when Eric Hook was wide open in that uh, Utah game. Yeah. You know, you throw it right over the middle. It was That's a nice, easy throw for a quarterback that had struggled at times early in the season. Just pop it right over, touchdown. You know, that gives someone confidence. That gives the tight end a little bit of confidence. Maybe he blocks a little bit better on the next play. Uh, so I think if you just – you got to be able to have a little bit of balance. It doesn't have to be 50-50, but you need to be able to run successfully when you attempt to run. Obviously, you don't have to because they got their biggest win in a game that they ran for five yards. So you don't have to. Why did they get their biggest win? Because they were given the ball on the two-yard line. <laughs> when your defense gets, gives you turnovers and puts the ball right in you know, field position for you, then that makes it a lot easier. It's not like they drove the field all those drives. Yeah. I mean, it sure feels like they couldn't run the ball. So they just threw it. And it worked. The annoying thing about you guys not sitting next to each other anymore is that you don't fight as much. I like it when you fight. That's that's fun. Uh, Gary on Facebook says, does Harrell have 100% autonomy on play calls or do you think Helton overrides him at times? I don't think he overrides him. I think that's Harrell calls it. Uh, Jesper Smith said, will Josh Follow factor into the tight end rotation more now that Jude Wolf is out for the season? If they use the tight ends, then yes. I was going to say, like, what tight end? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Here? I mean, they have used the tight ends. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, go ahead. No, no, you're right. Like, but like, how much? Like, not very much at all. Like, well, they're 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 enough. If you want it, no, I mean, like, they're playing. <laughs> But like, how much are they contributing? Like, well, that's know. the problem. That's the problem with the run game. Those guys need to be blocking better too. It's not just the offensive line. And I think that people always, if you don't run the ball well, people immediately blame the offensive line. But part of it's play calling. Part of it is the tight ends blocking on the edges because that's been where some a lot of the issues have been is those edge guys coming in and crashing down on runs. And USC wants to run, you know, they want to run their zone concepts to the guard, to the tackle, outside of them. So you have to be able to block on the edge, and the tight ends haven't been great at that. And they've used them a lot. This last game was actually the least they've used the tight end. So they, uh, you know, they had 53 offensive plays. They only used the tight end 34 times. So a little bit over, you know, probably like 60% there. Whereas it was the Utah game, 58 of the 63 snaps, they had a tight end in the game. The game before that, it was 57. The game before that, 76. So, you know, they, they're using the tight end a little bit less this, this past game, but that might have just been a matchup. And Graham Harrell, I asked him previously how, you know, the importance of the tight end. Is it important? Because when they go four wide receivers, they're much better as far as gaining yards. Uh, but he said the tight end is important because they want to be able to keep them on the field so they can run the ball and then, you know, keep that same defensive group in the game and still be able to throw the ball against them. Adrian on YouTube says, what's going on with Taylor Katoa? We haven't, what was the last update, Shotgun? Like a couple weeks ago? And uh, he's still pre, coming along. Pre-COVID, so... Was no, it you pre- asked. You asked about Taylor Katoa. Yeah, I think it was ago. pre-COVID, though. Pre, Pre-COVID outbreak and losing a game. Sorry. Oh, oh, I thought you went like the... <laughs> Pre-Colorado losing that game. Um, we, he, his name has not come up without being asked about. So that tells me you're not getting playing time. Yeah. No, no one who, whose name doesn't get mentioned at all by the coaches... Uh, when they're coming back from an injury or something like that, the, those guys usually do not play at all. Coley says, uh, can you compare Keen Slovis with DTR? Two completely different styles? Question mark? Uh, yes. And for the Coley, thank you for that. We got a care, care package from Coley. We so did. Thank you, I Coley. A, yeah, I got it over there. So some really nice stuff from South Bend. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, no, very different. I mean, we're, we haven't seen Slovis take off really and run hardly at all. You know, he's a more accurate downfield passer. He's one of the most accurate ones in the country, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it's it's different. I mean, DTR is definitely more of a playmaker. 
Uh, and, you know, Slovis is more of a, you know, pocket-passing quarterback that can complete 75% of his passes. Accuracy is the biggest difference there. Keaton Slovis' accuracy when he's on particularly. Um, you, know, you saw it last game, 17 consecutive completions. The ball placement was terrific. It looked like 2019 ball placement. That's a big difference from DTR. But one similarity that you may not notice is both of them throw the ball really well in the run. You know, when they're, they get out of the pocket, roll out plays and stuff, both of them are, are really good on the off-platform throws. So that's one similarity between the two of them. Tony Luna with an interesting question. Who's the real MVP of the season so far? You could go with Hufunga. Um, I would say Marlon Tuipelotu. Yeah, he's kind of fallen off, you know. He's like, But he kept them lately? in the game the first half of the season when it was dicey, when it was close. Yeah. He kind of led I the mean, way a little bit. Shotgun doesn't agree. Are with you me. saying he fell off because he didn't do much this last game? Is that why you're saying that? No, I'm just like the numbers. Like he he's still contributing, but he's just not getting like he was leading the team in like freaking tackles and stuff, which you shouldn't have. It's, like, it's harder to lead the team in tackles when you don't play at all in the second half. That's true. Spicy. So he, he didn't play. He only played seven snaps in the second quarter. Uh, so he only played seven snaps after the first quarter in this game. Yeah. Which tells you how important he is to this team that they decided, we got a big lead. We're going to rest him um, and, and keep him fresh for the next game. So I think it was really important for them to be able to rest guys like him and Drake Jackson, who didn't play much after the first quarter either. Um, so I think Marlon's definitely up there. But my choice is Elijah Vera Tucker. Mm. Um, he's been the... the you know, lockdown guy at left tackle. It was big, big question marks coming into the season, especially after he opted out. We're like, where is USC going to go with this? How's that going to work? Can they keep Keaton Slovis upright? And Keaton Slovis, though he took a couple hits in this past game, he's been, you know, he's been upright for the majority of the season. He hasn't taken a bunch of big hits and, you know, hits where you go, oh, is he going to be okay? Is he going to get up from that? Where would you put Drake London on there? I, okay, because my other take I would say was if Drake London doesn't make that catch, at ASU or at, during the ASU game, USC's kind of out of the south, right? Yeah, he, it's, he's. I mean, he's had some big, couple big games, I think, and been really important yeah. for that. But like the, you could look at the early ones, the ones they were close to losing. Like who makes the huge plays in those ones? Like Marlin and, uh, you know, I don't know. So yeah, there's it, it's it'll be interesting to see who kind of finishes off strong and who would be the MVP. Yeah, Jester Smith says, "Will Chris Steele play the slot going forward?" It's interesting, without Greg Johnson, um, you lose a guy who's out for the season. Greg Johnson and Jude Wolf are both out for the season, if we didn't mention that earlier. Uh, but you have some options there, and you feel comfortable with those options. It's not like inside linebacker after losing Raylan Goforth. You know, do you feel comfortable putting Raymond Scott in there with like 30-something snaps at that position? No. Max Williams has made a ton of plays. He looked great in the game on uh, Sunday playing against Washington State making tackles in space, covering on the outside, doing a lot of big things for USC. So I think they feel confident in him coming in. But you have the option, if you want, that you have three really good cornerbacks that you like, but now you can put them all on the field if you, if you want to as well. So that, that third spot is it's called a safety spot. It's really a nickel spot. Um, they'll move them around a little bit, but they're almost always near the line of scrimmage or playing the guy in the slot. So you know, Chris Steele got thrown in there, and he, he did really well as far as what he needed to do and, and taking care of business there, too. So I think just having those options, you feel really comfortable. Yeah. Mario on Periscope says, why no special short yardage packages for Matt Fink? That's interesting. I mean, you could do that, but it just seems like Graham Harrell's offense 
He wants it to be so simplistic that he doesn't want special packages for people. Yeah. He just wants to be plug and play. You know, they're going to have some special plays in there and some new wrinkles every once in a while. But hey, if someone's injured, it's not like, well, we got to throw that out. It's just like, well, put somebody else in there and let them run the same play. I'm not a big package person. Is that weird? I didn't even like it with the whole Max Brown, Sam Darnold, give Sam Darnold package things. I just don't think the yeah. continuity just doesn't work. Hey, hit some likes on there, wherever you're watching. <laughs> hit some likes. <laughs> the boss man's telling you guys what to do. Subscribe, like, comment. It all, always helps. Uh, we have a question from Bobby on Facebook who says, can you discuss the issue with slow developing run plays? That seems to be the issue. More of, oh, you're telegraphing the play. Your thoughts? There's been some talk of that for sure. Like people, like you know, say like, "Oh, I can I can tell when this is going to be a running play, or they're going to do this, or when they bring in Kristen, it's either a pitch or a throw, you know, whatever." I mean, there's some like identifiers that people have uh, looked up. I just think that's the way these run plays are designed. You know, I mean, that's just what they're. It's based off the passes. You know, I, I think that's where most of this comes from. I mean, a lot of the stuff is RPO with true pass options. Um, so a lot of it is. If, if Keaton Slovis sees the matchup on the outside, then you're throwing that wide receiver screen. Um, so the run portion of it is, you know, might be identifiable, but you have another option off of it. So you're supposed to be able to read it and then be able to throw it out there. So even if they, if they adjust and say, oh, this is, if they run the ball, this is what it's going to be, then that's when you go, okay, we'll throw it outside and we'll, we'll let our wide receivers go make a play. So that's what's supposed to be in this offense. You would still like to see a couple more counters in there. And they've done some different things. You know, instead of, you know, they'll line up in a similar formation that they normally, you know, the third and short situations where they run downhill, they'll pitch it every once in a while. You would like to see them use those counters a little bit more uh, just to keep the defense off balance and, you know, throw that tight end, you know, on the play action or something. Uh, those type of things that you see every once in a while, you go, oh, they could do this, but they don't do it consistently. Yeah. Uh, we have one more caller, and then I'm going to come back with some final questions. It's our buddy Dave again. He's back. Hello, Dave. What do you have now for us? <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, guys. Dave from Iowa once again. You know, I have to call in because, you know, I didn't call on Monday. But uh, I'd like to thank Hugo for breaking the news on Shotgun uh, going to ESPN. Uh, Ryan, I'd like to offer my services to be a part of the uh, USAFootball.com team, by the way. Nice. Yeah. But, um, Send us the resume. Is, yeah. my, um, oh, oh, of course, of course. But um, my um, analysis from last week's game, it kind of seems that, you know, the usual – I guess um, idea is that, you know, you run to set up the pass and vice versa. Clearly, we didn't do that. So is the air raid still the key to success? For me, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, this is an offense that will be successful if Keen Slovis and the wide receivers are successful. And that's, that's what's really made it go, in my opinion. So uh, it's nice to have the run aspect of it. Shotgun says you need it. I don't know if you need it in this offense. You're just like, just throw the ball, and it seems to work. And it goes back to Mike Leach, you know? They don't run the ball at all. How are they doing in the SEC this year? Yeah, they're not doing good. Micah, our intern, was like, wait, is that real? Is Shotgun actually leaving? No, he's not. <laughs> he's not leaving for ESPN. <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, sorry, Shotgun, that sounds sassy, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Keely. Sorry. Speaking of leaving, this has been a rumor that has been going around in the rumor mill that has been sent to me. Uh, but I don't – I'll, I'll just say it. Jesperson says, is there any legit interest in Harold um, leaving? or leaving as a head coach in other programs. The rumor that's been going around is that Harold will leave for Utah State. Um, so there was a story that was out and then retracted, basically. It was taken down um, about how he was 
you know, had agreed to the deal or, you know, he'd been offered it and things were moving towards the agreement. And then suddenly that story was gone. So let's take a step back. Um, I think he will draw some interest from some, some mid-level uh, schools like a Utah State. Uh, but, you know, he's got to weigh in the factors of, you know, where can he get with this team, with USC? And, you know, maybe he weighs in and says, we're not doing things well enough here. I want to go make my own road. Um, elsewhere. So I think that Keaton Slovis is a big thing that you know, that he even mentioned last year when his name started coming up as wanting to be around him. And if Keaton Slovis gets back on track, you know, having the the cachet of saying, yeah, I've coached a Heisman Trophy finalist or Heisman Trophy winner. And he mentioned that earlier is why I say that. Um, I, I think that that really could, you know, push you forward. It's a big resume point that you can add. Um, so that's something that he has a really good connection with Keaton and, you know, that might keep him around, but he's definitely going to draw some interest. Yeah. I, I talked to a source about that and it didn't yeah. seem like there was interest there in the Utah state, uh, job on the, the part of Harold, but there, you know, certainly, um, there's going to be some opportunities for him and we'll see and, know, where they go. And there could be NFL opportunities still. Remember last yep. year, a couple of teams came and looked and people may go, why would anybody come and get an offense coordinator at USC? Well, look at how well Cliff Kingsbury has, you know, turned Arizona around. Yeah. And that's what people that's what people are gonna look at. They're always looking for the next one or whatever. You know, Sean McVay, you've seen several teams kind of follow suit with that with the LaFleur and, and different hires that are similar. And they're looking for that young offensive coach to turn things around, make them more exciting for the fan base, especially if fans can come back next year. They need to get that money, get uh uh fans in the stands and seats, uh, butts in the seats. So I think that that's something that teams will at least kick the tires on, look at, you know, and, and because it's happened already with the Eagles giving them a look previously as OC, I think you'll see it again this season. Uh, Ryan, close your ears. Uh, Jesse, our resident UCLA fan, uh, this is your week, Jesse, so congrats. Uh, he said, shoddy, and Evan Mobley shout out, basketball take? No, you wanna. I do. Evan Mobley is a beast. If you guys haven't got to watch a game, the USC basketball, make sure you check it out when you can. They're playing Stanford this weekend Ooh. on Sunday, and that is a you're going to have two potential top ten picks in that game. Zaire Williams uh, from uh, went to Sierra Canyon. The USC recruited really hard and came up probably second or third in his recruitment. Went to Stanford. Both those guys will be top ten picks next year, if not both top five. Um, so it's going to be a great matchup there and open the Pac-12 season. But Evan Mobley has is, is been incredible all season. I thought it was, it was really interesting. I'll just make one more point on basketball, but that he had 22 points, 11 rebounds. I think it was like uh, five blocks, three assists. All those tied or set new career highs. No one asked him, Andy Enfield, a question about him the entire time because he's just been so consistent and so good. That it's just like, oh, you know, Evan's playing really well again, right? Like there's no question to ask there. He's such a dominant and he's so smooth. He hit two threes last night. He was just smooth with his jumper. He's fun to watch. If you get a chance, he's not going to be around USC very long. It sucks, sucks that fans can't come and watch games this year because this is, you know, maybe one of the best USC teams because they're playing as a team uh, much more than some other teams have played. And he is a unique and special athlete. There you go. Basketball minute. You survive, Ryan? You good? We're done. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel on YouTube says, do you think USC has a chance with Rajon Davis? Yes, definitely. Especially with the way LSU is losing players and recruits right now. And their self-imposed bull band. Oh, my God. Ryan, I know you got a comment <laughs> on that, right? Oh, boy. Yeah. That's, that, this is like, like a mess down there. I feel bad. But 
But a bull band when you're not, like... Yeah. I mean, technically, they're eligible because everyone is eligible this year. But I, I, I think Stuart Mandel was the one to point out. It's like, a lot of teams are going to, you know, turn down bowl offers. So they're just doing it, you know, in, in advance and saying, well, we're punishing ourselves. No, you're not. Yeah. You don't want to go play another team. Hugo's yeah. getting a lot of love on Periscope. People want to tailgate. Keith wants to tailgate with him. Um, Hugo's on Periscope? No, no, they're, they're they're giving love on oh. yeah, to Hugo on Periscope. Got so. it. And we got questions too, like you know, uh, <laughs> That's your how job, about man. landing uh, Corey Foreman? So a lot of recruiting stuff coming up. Yeah, I guess it's a week away. It is a week away. There's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come up with a schedule, uh, our content schedule of what you guys will see from us. So stay tuned for that. And we'll put that together pretty soon. Yeah, we probably need to get Gerard or something on. But, He's you know. yeah he. He's out in his bunker, so I don't know if he'll want to come out here. We'll see. Um, Let's see. A couple more questions, Shotgun. You can take over after I do the next one. Super OC Holmes says, how does USC combat UCLA's speed on defense? They look really fast and violent out there. They are violent. I think they're physical and very fast. Like I said, they put a lot of pressure on you, so it might be quick decision-making by... Keaton Slovis finding the open guy, the, those receivers supposed to run the grass, which one's open, be able to hit the guy and, and go forward. You know, because you're going to assume that he's going to be under fire. So it's probably going to be his quick decision making and being able to you know, find those open guys and to, to have some success. Shadi, uh, any questions I missed that are burning that you want to ask? Um, I, I get a little bit upset when people attack players and they say they ter- they're terrible. Uh, Luther said, Chris Steele's terrible. Why isn't ITS starting? And especially when there's inf- d- misinformation in there because ITS did start last game. True. So, and then Walker added, what's up with uh, Griffin, Elijah Griffin always dancing? Pretty funny. It is funny. He's a unique character. That's just who he is. And congratulations to him on his first uh, interception. Terrible throw by Jaden Delora. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, congratulations for getting that. If, if Hunter Eccles didn't tackle him, who knows? It might have been an uh, a interception return for a touchdown. But Chris Steele's not terrible. He's being too handsy. He's getting called by Pac-12 refs. But he's in position every time. It's not like he's getting burnt. You know, Elijah Griffin actually got burned on a play, and the wide receiver dropped it. The, the Another opportunity Washington State just missed out on um, early in the game that could have changed kind of the dynamic of how the game played out. But, you know, he's been great. Elijah Griffin's been terrific on the other side. Elijah Griffin's not giving up any catches, barely. So, you know, both of those guys are, are playing really well. And ITS has worked his way back in that rotation uh, which is great to see because of the knee injury that he had in the Holiday Bowl. He's mm-hmm. finally back, and he played more snaps than Elijah Griffin in this game, who he started for. So we'll see as they go forward if you know if there's a true three-man rotation or if it reverts back to where it was the, uh, the previous couple games. Mm-hmm. A couple more questions for me. I I skimmed through. Multiple people asked if US if UCLA somehow beats USC, does that mean Helton's fired? Ryan, no. <laughs> Quick no. answer. Twenty twenty one. If It'd be the first opportunity, I think, for the USC administration to make a coaching change if they felt that was warranted. I don't think that's feasible this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had multiple questions about your shirt, Ryan. People wanted to know, can they get your shirt? I got we got So we can't sell them because it says USC on them. And so that's like a copyright thing. But we can make them and give them away. I think I gave away like 300 of these things. Like We, we had our like 20th anniversary a few years ago, and I think I made these shirts. I uh, had some people at USC wanted to get them. So, um, Look at that. So, yeah, I actually emailed the guy about making some more, and then I never heard back. So I'll try to push that again. But we would do them as giveaways and, like, you know, callers on the show, send them out or something like that. Or when we could have, like, some kind of in-person event, which 
doesn't look like we'll be happening anytime soon. Sad. Um, but, you know, we could do something like that, too. But, yeah, we were giving them away, and they're, people love them. They're fun. I, I like them. They're, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I only so. have this one left, though. So. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Already, game predictions. How do you think this one's going to go, gentlemen? Yeah. Uh, I haven't thought about it too much. So this is a two-and-a-half-point spread. I think, I think it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be a super high scoring-ish kind of game. Like, USC's just been kind of sitting in the 30s, you know? Um, I think it's going to be like a 31-28 USC squeaks out one against uh, UCLA. And that, that's fine. Like, this is a good team. You got to win anyway in this one. I don't think you're going to complain about it. So I'll say it's a close one. 31-28 Trojans. Shoddy? I mean, that's a, a very good score because that's what I was thinking. Oh. Uh, so I'll go above that and say... USC covers the spread and wins thirty-five to thirty-one. I, actually, I don't. I don't think UCLA is scoring that many points on USC. Interesting. USC's uh, defense holds them to twenty-one points, and they win twenty-eight to twenty-one or thirty-five to thirty-one or twenty-one. Excuse me. All right. So I actually thought about my score prediction this week. Okay. For her, that's a first. I know. That's why I said it with such uh, with that tone. Uh, I'm going to say USC wins, but it's a close one, twenty-eight twenty-five. Ooh. How about that? Okay. Yeah. There you go. But everyone has USC covering the spread as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a small Ooh. spread. Yeah. You know, but yeah, two and a half points. At least the last I saw was two and a half points. I, yep. I think that whoever controls the run game, I know USC is not known for that. So th I mean, on the defensive side as well, whoever controls the run game, uh, I think will we'll win this game, actually. All righty. We'll be back on Sunday to break down oh, the I game. I didn't get to give any rapid fire. You, I thought we're, you we're did. Good, yeah. yeah, we did. You're done. We're shutting you down. I just want to point out one thing. Hassan Turner pointed out the recovered onside kick when we were talking about special teams. And I wanted to point that out because uh, I watched USC's kick return unit and just the way that they would shift. They didn't start out in the same position every time. You know, Washington State would be bunched up. Well, they were bunched up and they were closer waiting for something like that to happen. And then they would spread out as the team. And that's just preparation. It's the small things like that that you kind of notice and you go – Look at the small things that they're doing to, to be able to counter someone trying to you know sneak us by an onside kick or something. And they recovered that and then went down and got a field goal out of it. So you know, just give a little bit more credit to Sean Snyder for having that group prepared. Alrighty. Fair. Now that's gonna wrap it up for today's edition of Tunnel Vision. Like I said, we'll be back on Sunday to break down the game. So make sure you stay tuned for that. 7 p.m. on Sunday. That's Ryan. That's shocking. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.